0: The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice.
1: Hey
0: everyone, welcome
1: to Drac of All Trades. And today we have our, our special guest back, uh, Matt, who is the pop sequentialism author and Gallery 30 South owner. And today he's here to talk to us about NFTs. Welcome
2: hey guys, back, thanks Matt. for having me back. I love it.
1: Pleasure to have you welcome here.
2: Welcome back this time i'm actually in the gallery Uh, you can see behind me the uh the ninth annual coaster show so all the artwork is on uh four inch uh coasters beer coasters or something that seems like a beer coaster sometimes it's a piece of wood sometimes it's metal but um it allows a really kind of egalitarian price point for people to start collecting artwork some of the pieces in the show are 20 bucks the ceiling price is 250 i don't even think anybody priced it at the ceiling price but uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of really, really decent and um, sometimes famous artists who participate in the show every year. So uh, you get a, a little bit of a glimpse of, of uh, me and my natural habitat at the time.
1: Yeah, given the chance, I would love to visit your gallery sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you we're, located? We're, we're both in Toronto, at, ah, in Canada.
2: I, I've been trying to make it up to TIFF. Um, my other job is that I work in uh, film distribution. I work for company called Arrow and they're frequently set up shop at uh, Toronto International Film Festival which is where a lot of the best horror films debut and um, one of these days I'll I'll make it back up there and I'll have to pay you guys a visit.
1: Yeah, please let us know. Welcome. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, what was it? Oh, no, go ahead David. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just going to ask Matt to tell us about the the NFTs and everything.
2: Sure, sure. So um, it's funny, you know, like I guess if we go back about six months, it's when, you know, that that enormous Beeple sale happened where, uh, you know, his work sold for, you know, ridiculous amounts of money, like hundreds of mil, or was it, was it 67 or $78 million or something like that. And I um, that caused a huge amount of uptick in the amount of artists who were, uh, got into the NFT trade and started posting their artwork on different marketplaces. And in that ensuing um, amount of time, there's been a massive flood. Um, you've seen several of the marketplaces have controversies, um, several of the marketplaces um, try to expand into other um, you know physical markets. And um, as someone who's recently launched into that space myself uh, with the art gallery with a, with an art agency, um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about some of the peccadillos that we've seen and what I see in the market, how I feel about the the health of the NFT market and and all that moving forward, Um, you know, before we started, um, Dave? Dave and I were talking about, um, you know, that OpenSea had a little insider trading controversy of (laughs) some of the employees um, buying the pieces. Now, as I actually understand it, I don't think it qualifies as true insider trading. I think what they were doing is they were buying pieces that weren't selling very well and and so getting them at the, um, the opening price without it really appreciating too much, sitting on them and then selling them themselves because they're aware of everything that hits the marketplace. And in a way, I, I don't have a problem with that if there's not an appetite for the work and someone by virtue of their position is able to kind of swoop in and buy stuff. Um, and I don't think that NFT qualifies in the same way as stock does as a tradable commodity, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, and as long as there's a resale royalty built into it, which just needs to be on OpenSea these days, then when they do resell it, the artist does get, you know, probably 10% of what the resale price is, and I'm sure they're happy with that, and that will continue to go on. But it does raise a little bit of concern about why, you know, regular people, You know, um, why the normies aren't necessarily excited and investing in NFT because they think it's a scam. You know, um, the idea of cryptocurrency to a lot of regular people is something that completely escapes them. If they're not able to, say, buy a a milk and a loaf of bread with cryptocurrency, then they don't see it as being real currency. And of course, it just depends where you are. You know, you can buy uh, milk and a loaf of bread with cryptocurrency in a lot of places um it's just that a lot of people have a problem remembering their own you know telephone voicemail passwords so when you have to throw in you know 16 chain passwords and lots of um of text that isn't necessarily something you can remember but randomized numbers to keep the key safe then a lot of people are going to opt out because as has happened they're going to not be able to log back into their own wallets and lose the money that they've invested but i do see that changing with the nft market And I do think that it's still not even the ground floor. Like, I think we're before the ground floor. Um, We're still in the in the foundational aspect of the NFT market. And so when I look at the highest end stuff, like people, $67 million or so, you know, people will ask, well, did the people who buy that think that that's going to go up in price? And I think they do. But I think that more than it as an immediate quick turnaround investment, the people who bought that are heavily invested in cryptocurrency. They're crypto brokers. You know, they're um, they're from India, but they operate out of Singapore. They're billionaires. They're crypto billionaires. So spending, you know, 60 or $70 million on something that elevates what they do is an incredibly sound investment that costs them basically nothing. And so the money they spent has already been worthwhile because it's gotten more attention on the NFT market and on cryptocurrency, which they benefit from as people who run an exchange. Um, but I do think that in a couple of years that you could see that resell for something like $200, $300 million. So when you're looking at artwork that is debuting at half an Ether, if you are invested in crypto, you should be buying like anything that has a good reputation as a meme that's being offered in the NFT marketplace because it's never getting any cheaper than that. And well, some of these things are going to go a question go I have about that, though.
1: Where- how how can people differentiate something that is like a good NFT between something that's like a really crappy, just nothing, like no that, that nobody knows about?
2: I mean, there's a couple of ways. Um, my first, like, baseline gut way that I look at something is, do I like it? And I think that you know, any type of investment, whether we're talking about comic books or we're talking about baseball cards or we're talking about pork bellies. If you're going to be successful as someone trading in them, you have to know that market. So you have to know the pork belly trade to be a wise investor in selling commodities like pork bellies or coffee or um, zinc. Um, And the same is true of baseball cards. uh, The same is true of comic books and, you know, any tradable thing, anything that you can invest in that can make you money. The more expertise you have in it, the better investor you are, the more informed investor you are the more likely you are to um, financially benefit from it. Um, I think that the people who are really buying and selling NFTs on a regular basis, mainly younger people, I would say, um, kids who have sort of come of age in an investment sense during the age of cryptocurrency, so they are less than 10 years uh, in the financial um, investing market, and so that covers the era of, of cryptocurrency, and they know what they like. And they're, they're buying memes that they've seen on their phones, on Instagram, in 4chan chat rooms, um, you know, dropped into posts on Facebook. They're seeing their uncool, unhip, uncle's teachers sharing memes that they knew about three years ago as they hit you know, um, a wider audience. And that signals to them, wow, this, this thing that I knew about is now mass market. And there's huge bragging rights in owning that, not only among my peers and people that I think are cool, but even people I think are uncool know what this is. And so that same thing that may drive you away from following a particular band because you don't like it, you know, we hate it when our friends become successful, says Morrissey, that um, that it pays off in any kind of uh, notion about ownership. If I own that piece, if I can pull it up on my phone, and show you my wallet and be like, Okay, hey, you know, I, I own this piece. Um, there's huge dragon rights in that. So I think the more vested you are and, and just aware of what's happening in the market and what's going up will benefit you. And of course, Discord is a huge home for that. So I, I don't know of any people who are really buying and selling um, NFTs that aren't, you know, following several, if not several hundred uh, Discord groups. So I think that that's a big differentiator.
0: So that actually opens up uh, a couple of different threads for me. Um, one, I think, I think we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I mean, I think a lot of these people, you're right, a lot of these people buying the um, NFTs are crypto rich. I mean, just in the last maybe 12 months, they 10x maybe. Yeah. But at least, so they have the, the income to play with something
2: like this. It's monopoly money to them, right? <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's not yeah. real until you pull it out and put it in a bank account. Now, I've been, I've been like that with my PayPal account. Like when I'm buying and selling comic art or animation art, and I look and I see that, you know, I've got a lot of money in my PayPal, and then I see something that I want to buy. If I could just like send that out before it hurts, before it hits a bank statement, I'm much more likely to, to make that purchase at a higher price point than perhaps I might think I would. Comic books, especially, you know, like in in, in graded comics, I've been heavily invested in, in comics over the last few years. I was always a comic book. Collections. I buy comic art and animation. You know, we've we've talked about animation, um, but I think like in the last couple of months, as I've seen stuff that I was sitting on, waiting for something to happen, just kind of thinking, predicting what I thought would happen, either in the Marvel universe, or the DC universe, or independents that were being overlooked that I didn't see, I didn't think were achieving the um, the fair market value assignment that they should as those have been peaking and going beyond what I I had initially anticipated, I'm selling them. I start thinking, as I think most investors do, what do I really want? Right? Like what do I want that I'm proud to have that I'm happy to hold in my hands or, or even look at on a ledger and say, this gives me joy. And I've gone back and I've, I've looked for a few of those things. Luckily, the stuff that I love and I'm able to kind of be somewhat, um, Maybe it's my Libra, you know, uh, essence that I'm able to balance these things. But, you know, that I think that there's an, a part of me that I, I understand the difference between what I'm investing in and what I'm collecting. And I, I very early on put like a real like division line right down the middle and said, I don't care if this ever makes money. This gives me joy and I want it. And these are things that I'm buying for investment. And so I picked up a... um it was a vampire tales, a Marvel magazine from the 1970s. These horror magazines were like my life's blood as a kid. They were a forbidden fruit. They were clearly too adult for, you know, single-digit me, you know. Um, and there was something a little uh, salacious about oh, it. You and guys are, you guys froze it. And so that's what I was collecting. But um so, yeah, I think um I think you're right.
0: So I have a question, um, because I'm coming at this with almost no knowledge of the, uh, of the but, but I do, but I am in, into crypto. So then my question would be, um, I'm, I'm assuming most of these uh, NFT plays are, are built on Ethereum.
2: Almost everything that you're seeing achieving high dollar value is built on Ethereum. Ethereum is the most common platform to be building on. There's, there's others, there's quite a few others that I think are going to gain some momentum and definitely pick up speed because they're way cheaper to mint and gas on. Yeah um you know we is we were going to launch a couple pieces last week as i said the prices to to gas and launch were so high that we waited you know um we figured skipping a week was much smarter than overpaying for our place on the blockchain to put these nfts there's um a, a new thing that's happening where people are sort of buying a box like a storage box we'll say uh within a blockchain and keeping everything in that box so that you're linking back with the nft sale not to a position on necessarily the marketplace itself but to this other thing and by linking back into the marketplace you're able to carry over your resale royalties and um you know the reason why you really want things bought and sold as an nft which is the line of provenance so it it's decentralized and it's further decentralized even than i think a lot of people think about it um which makes it very different from the standard way of putting things up on on an Ethereum chain and selling it on Nifty Gateway or Super Rare or Foundation and certainly OpenSea. Um, but and then very, very different from a centralized um, exchange like Binance.
0: So, so that actually kind of leads me to my other question because I'm wondering where the future of this is heading in that. So let's say we've, we got a future where there's a couple of some smart contract chains with varying levels of market share. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, would you agree they're heading towards a point where they're gonna have some interoperability where the tokens can kind of jump from chain to chain?
2: In a way, isn't that kind of already happening? Because most people will put their money into a single exchange and they will buy and sell the available tokens within that exchange. So when they look in their wallets, maybe they've got X amount of Bitcoin, X amount of Ethereum, and then things like Tron or, um, you know, Doge and and sort of like, Coins that don't get as much attention we'll say you know and if you go back two years you know there are quite a few exchanges that only offered four or five coins um that's much less common um certainly when when i first got into um purchasing and selling i bought my first bitcoin from a bitcoin atm in in west hollywood and then immediately set up a wallet on um, binance to be able to turn that into other coins that were less available on the markets, including Ethereum at that time, which was not readily available. I mean, this is when Ethereum was about, I think it was like $3.75 um, per Ethereum. And I did a podcast about it, and by the time the podcast aired, it was worth $7.58. And I'm like, oh, no, this is too late. It's already it's already doubled, you know, what, what could happen from here? You know, and then, of course, a year later, it was bananas. So, um, you know, now it fluctuates up and above I don't think it's gone below $700 or $800 in years at this point. But um, I think people are really more interested in a marketplace that will allow them to have multiple coins and an ease of use with on the exchange. And that's why, you know, we'll say people that would have been my parents age, were they still alive, who are starting to diversify their portfolios because a lot of them got wiped out in the financial collapse. So they had invested in stocks. They were told this is the safe place to put your money, and it went away. And I think that at this point, post 2008, we all understand that all markets are volatile. So no matter where you're parking your money, it's a risk. And I think the, um, the growth spur of collectibles has brought things back to at least this is tangible. This is something I can put my hands on. You know, the, the sale of art you know, getting exponentially higher and higher. I mean, we can talk about things like Salvador Mundi and Salvador Mundi is controversial because is it a Da Vinci? you know, but, um, you know, when you look at things that are created digitally, you know exactly where they were born. You can see where they started on the exchange. Uh, you can tie that into a press release. If it's not the artist themselves who's selling it, if it's an agency or a rep, they'll be able to post that they have this deal in place to be able to sell it. So you've got instant and intra- trackable provenance from that point forward. That is. A more transparent way, I think, of doing business. And when it comes to collectors, I'll ask you this: So, you see a toy that you used to have as a kid go up at market, and it sells for like a hundred thousand dollars, or like a Pokemon card, and like, or like in my case, I was a little too old for Pokemon. Not that you're ever too old for Pokemon, but it just it didn't hit at that right point in my life for me to be an early adapter. But I was a Magic the Gathering kid, you know, Magic the Gathering adult. Yeah.
0: Fourth edition. I started.
2: Yeah, I started uh, Alpha Set um, Unlimited. Oh shit! So uh, I was
0: before, <laughs> before the
2: dark, right around Arabian Nights, and so I had um, I had a couple of moxes. I had a Black Lotus. I sold my Black Lotus, mm-hmm. which was heavily played, so it wasn't mint. It wasn't going to get a nine eight or a ten or whatever. Um, it was you know used, and I, I sold it in nineteen ninety seven. For like a thousand dollars, you know, if it had been mint, that's a two hundred thousand dollar card or something at this point, right? So when that goes up for sale, I tell people, I used to have one of those. Well, now in the blockchain, I can. I used to own that, and there's my name right there before the guy who owned it five times before the guy that paid a hundred grand for it. So like that sort of aspect to um, enriching the collecting. Um, atmosphere in really uh glorifying collecting by provenance is huge why wouldn't you want to buy nfts if you're already a collector because now if you have something and sell it you're still indelibly connected to it forever now here's a bad thing now because of that if you're buying and selling nazi stuff i mean your name is on that account unless you opt out change your online identity and dump your wallet into something else I mean, people may be able to find out that you were buying some shitty stuff, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to be what it is now. We live right now very much in a culture of outrage, and there's very legitimate reasons why somebody might want to collect um, something that is right now seen as being very politically incorrect, and maybe it's even for the historic value. Maybe it's just for what I think a lot of people collect that stuff for, which is a knee-jerk value, which is to troll. Like, I'm gonna buy this because it upsets you. Mm. And I have the funds to do it. And the joy that I get from trolling is more than what I might otherwise spend my money on. And I mean, that's as legitimate a reason to buy anything as any other reason, you know, because it boils down to joy. And in a way that actually helps make something more valuable. You know, we all would love if, you know, a world peace token were the most expensive thing in the world, but um, who knows if that exists, maybe it will be. But um, I think that it has to sort of dovetail into what is interesting to people, what gets attention, and how much of whether it be the zeitgeist or just like the national attitude or international attitude is connected to interest and how much that thing sells for.
0: Well, I thought just on another subject, I think, I think the outrage came out because the internet kind of grew too fast and people were just exposed to more that they could handle mm-hmm. and I, but I'm, I'm sure over time this uh, information overload is going to kind of settle down everyone's just going to be like yeah we understand that other people are different than us like it's cool
2: yeah but i mean like someone will make a, a an nft out of two girls one cup and somebody will buy that you know <laughs> i mean they will and it will probably sell for a million dollars i mean it's 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 horrible but i mean it has a historic value like that's one of those Like you talked about the Internet growing too fast and people being inundated with too much. That was something nobody wanted to see. But like like a Rickroll, if you got somebody to open it, there were points in how disgusting that was, like in how trolly it was that you exposed someone who never, ever wanted to see that to it. You know, and we should say, don't look it up. And of course, now everybody will look it up if if by some reason they're unfamiliar with it. And some people only know it as a meme of a meme, like they only know it as an expression. But um, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that, and there's a lot of, you know, this is a really interesting thing. So there was recently on, I think it was on Netflix. It might have been on Prime, and I apologize. As someone who works in um, in visual media, um, I feel bad if I can't you know tell exactly what it is. But there was a documentary on on the uh, U.S. Gymnastics Association and the horrible um, abuse that that program hid for years, uh, both physical and um, child sexual abuse. And so one of the girls on that team became a meme years before this story broke for winning a medal at the Olympics and having like an I don't care face. And like so I knew her as that meme only like and I, I guess I sort of tangentially knew that she was an Olympian. But like now, having seen this other documentary, I have a whole new context to who she is and why she may have been nonplussed by winning a medal. Maybe she was exceptionally upset at the people who got her to that podium or who were, she got herself to that podium, but the people who maybe claim credit for the skills of these young girls are now sort of in a way blessed by association with their natural abilities and with some training. And so. Now that becomes a much more important meme to me than just, you know, the kind of like derpy face that she's making in that in that meme. So everything is, is context of some kind. Some things have a little bit deeper context than others. That gives some things more value. That detracts value from other things. Knowing too much can take away the magic of a thing. So I think as, as we get deeper into this, older memes are going to take on a life of their own. and. We now can pretty much track who created stuff. There was a thing on, on um, marketplaces like OpenSea where people were trying to put up memes of other people's work and getting caught. And of course, there's no value in owning that. Just like if you bought a forgery of a Picasso, you may have paid somebody $4 million for it, but the second you bring it to Sotheby's and they tell you that that's not a real Picasso, you can't resell it. You're the person who lost. Maybe you can go back and see the person who sold it to you. That's the same with NFTs that are inauthenticated NFTs. So as long, you know, one of the great things about the blockchain and about the nature of this work is it protects you from that type of thing happening to a very, very great degree.
0: So that was, um, that was my originally thought of where I thought where NFTs would have gone to. I I was thinking like, because I have an art background, so I was thinking like for art, for music, for creative rights, basically, right? Because right now, if you were to say you own the song, how would you prove it other than maybe some, you know, notarized documentation, some lawyer? Like, let's say this thing has been passed down a hundred years. This piece of paper is like junk by now, right? But if it exists on a blockchain, wow, like that's that's amazing. Well, I guess in music,
2: if it's beyond 72 years, it's literally garbage, right? Like the only value to it is the signature on the original contract. Um, You know, as copyrights, you know, eclipse uh, expire, um, when uh, renewals don't happen in time, things enter the public domain. Mickey Mouse, um, because of um, Steamboat Willie, Disney has managed to um, forego it going into the public domain again and again and again. And finally, I think Congress was like, "You can't be any Mickey Mouse is no more special than you know, Oh Susanna." You know, so it's like you know, if at a certain point, you cannot renew, or everything can be renewed. And if everything can be renewed, you would have to somehow go back and ex post facto give the person who let their rights expire or didn't a way of reinforcing an expired copyright. And that is a massive legal headache. So it's much more likely that companies like Marvel and Disney are not going to be able to extend their copyright to character beyond a certain point. Um, What they can do is revitalize the character and copyright that new version of the character certainly Mickey Mouse today does not look anything like Steamboat Willie and certainly didn't look anything like Steamboat Willie within four or five years of the creation of the character but you know you or I could take Steamboat Willie as it was created not making a new one but as it was created and sell it without paying Disney any money if that has expired at this point I'm not sure that it has
0: right right yeah so if I was going to make a t-shirt I could market that thing with uh with Mickey Mouse on it yeah yeah um so i have a question um kind of going back to the, the the so i'm thinking about it from like um a safety a security standpoint i guess uh, so like if all the nfts are built on ethereum my I instinctively you think what happens if something happens to ethereum right or even just now like you, you you're talking about two thousand dollar fees for a transaction like i wouldn't <laughs> want to trade an nft that's like worth 50 bucks you know versus if i was to put that on finance or ada it probably cost me pennies on the dollar but for a, as a so. collector
2: you benefit from that high gas fee like if i have to pay two thousand dollars to gas an nft has an open bid price of half an ether which at this point is what 1700 dollars. i just paid more than the nft is technically valued at once it enters the marketplace if you buy that nft you're already ahead of the cost of creation, because we can sort of take NFTs and you can say there's the aesthetic value, which is what you're actually paying for. There's also the value of its position on the blockchain, which is indelible. So it represents a certain amount of space on a blockchain that already has value because it's connected to a coin. Now, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that when they're buying and and selling NFTs, but I think some people are. And if you're looking to have to own a large portion of a particular uh, chain, you can do that by buying the things that are minted on it. Why you would want to do that, I'm not quite at the level to to speak to, but there's got to be something there's a bragging right in that, too. And knowing that as these as these rates fluctuate can push automatically pushes up the price of an unsold piece. So if I have something that's half an ether, or maybe I priced it half an Ether because of how much it cost me to gas it a couple days before. So I have to adjust my my entry-level price, and then the price sinks. Then smart investors who have plenty of Ether will buy stuff that's cheap because the value of Ether has gotten less. And in other markets, if the value of Ether has gone up, it may be either harder to sell or it may influence the price of previously sold art. So if I have 100 pieces of art with my name on it, on the um, NFT marketplace and um, 25 of them sold and 75 of them not sold, an increase in value um, on new pieces automatically makes the older pieces more valuable. If I own one, I may put it back out there immediately just to sell it for what the current pieces sell for based on the new value of Ethereum. So there's a whole hmm. instant economy that's built into NFT sales. If you understand as a collector how to game that system same way that people buy and sell currency, you know, the exchange rates made profiting heavily from buying and selling currency difficult, but there have obviously been placed uh, positions in time where ahead of Brexit, someone's like, Oh, I think this is going to pass. I'm going to, you know, um, sell my, um, British pounds now and pick up after the drop and there's, there's a serious way of making money there again with, um, if you have an artist whose work becomes known even if they don't become you know million dollar nfts but if they go from half an ether to two ethers anything you bought at half an ether is now worth you know a lot more you know than it was before just by simple math so there will be people if there are people continuing to buy new pieces that will be interested in the old ones because they never had a shot at and If you're talking about additions additions can get you know can really help push the price up on things um i've always been a guy that collected I mean, aside from comics and stuff but when i buy art you know i want unique pieces of art i was never really a poster collector i wasn't really a print collector i wanted i wanted to be the guy that said i own that and so really the um the blockchain is aimed at people like me who want the pride of ownership but instantly you know like if there's a window of like in the next 24 hours we're going to sell as many of these as we can sell and then we're going to cut it off then as many people who invest in that piece that edition stops when the clock stops that's however, however many there will be, and if that artist you know catches fire, then all of those additions become commodities, like very valuable commodities. So it's it's a it's a little bit more identifiable than it necessarily is in the rest of the art world, because again, you also have a record of the price. No, most art galleries don't put pricing on artworks on their websites. Half the time, there's not even a, a sticker that has the title or the price on the wall. Um, at a certain point, some galleries, you know, at a high end think that that's either gauche or, um, you know, um, it's not classy. Um, other galleries want to be very transparent, say this is what everything costs, don't want to intimidate people who can afford it. You know, I think the, the big question about walking into a gallery like a Gaussian is it's intimidating because there's no prices on the walls. They want it to be intimidating because they want the people who have the money to spend there. To feel special not like just anybody who walks in whereas at a in my gallery we have titles and prices on the walls um, unless it's for an aesthetic reason that we don't want it to detract from the show but generally speaking if, if that's not the case there'll be a price list on the wall that tells you what everything is but for ease of sale and for transparency's sake i've always posted prices online now granted after a couple of years you may want to take those prices down because they no longer reflect the value of that artist's current work but on the blockchain, it's great because you can go back and look and say, oh, wow, when they, they started, people started selling this stuff for 0.2 Ether. Now we're selling pieces for millions of dollars. That's a good investment. So like, even if you don't know much, you can just start looking in different marketplaces and seeing what you like, seeing what it's selling for, and then see what's available, either by that artist or people whose art is similar or reflects a similar aesthetic, and then you develop your own taste. And you can kind of develop a smart investment strategy from that
0: so i actually have a uh this leads me down to a question um of of value and rarity i guess because i'm like you I, I was into comic books before i used to go to the shows and you used to look at i wouldn't we wouldn't be able to afford it but i'd look at jim lee's cover and you know, see, see if you know how much would that be and the thing about owning something physical is that it's just it's one of one yeah. now the problem with the and, and nft is it does prove that it's one of one but so let's say it was one of the NFTs of, uh, of these, um, what was it? The uh, emoticons, like the sure, emoticons
2: uh, or crypto punks yeah. or anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a crypto, crypto pumps, Right. So let's say you own an NFT of one of those, um, icons, you own the NFT, which, which certifies its original, but I can just, you know, Photoshop that icon and just do whatever I want with it. Whereas like, if I had Jim Lee's original, nobody, you know, I have it. So I'm just wondering, like, is, is are NFTs in need of, um this rarity component?
2: Well, here's, okay. So I'm glad you raised this point because I think that used to be a problem and it isn't a problem anymore because I can still find online that Jim Lee original artwork and I can make my own t-shirt out of it. You know, I can't sell them, but if I want it, if I want to keep it as my screensaver, I can do that. That doesn't make that piece less um, valuable. It makes it more valuable. The fact that people who would never be able to afford to pay for it love it and treasure it and share it and know what it is gives that original object more potency and i think that that more potency enhances the scarcity of it being a unique object but much more impacts the perceived value and i think when you're talking about nfts and why they've gotten to the point that we're discussing it you know as opposed to you know back in 2017 when i was going to do a rare pepe show i mean a real small group of people knew what nfts were and how to do a show was a head scratcher like how do i do a show of these pieces that only exist digitally how do i set up a wallet to be able to sell them like this was all alien to me and so in the last four years where it's become common enough that my sisters are asking me what doge you know, then it's like, that's a huge thing. Like awareness makes things valuable. Um, Overkill can drive the price down on things. Um, Overpayment certainly can be um, something that you can look at in the marketplace. But even that is a bit subjective because if I want it and I have money and I pay more than you think I should have paid, that doesn't mean I overpaid for it. It means I paid more than you would have paid for it. And with unique objects, you have to bear that in mind. Um, you know, animation cells are a little bit different because animation cells represent a piece of a sequence. And so while they're unique, there are, you know, the, what's the, the line from um, Full Metal Jacket? There are many weapons like this, but this one is mine. You know, it, it's like, it is part of an addition of sorts, each one of them being unique, not a just um, mass produced edition, but, um, in the case of like a Jim Lee cover, like what was it recently the the Punisher War Journal cover with Wolverine was just sold. And I'll say this about that piece. The person who picked it up paid $177,000 for it, I think. And um I'm actually I'm I don't know him in real life, but we're in a a group together and he had posted it. Looking at that artwork, it is way better than the published cover. Like the colors that they use, yeah. they chose to use on that cover, ruined it. I've been saying that about you know quite a few artists' work. That if their work came out in the late '80s or the uh, straight through, actually, to the early 2000s, depending upon what kind of paper it was printed on, um, you know, like even you know X-23, who comes out of NYX, you know, the um the female uh, clone of Wolverine, teenage character. Um, when she got her solo series, the artist who was doing that. Had this like beautiful economy aligned, but an incredible um, sense of layout and action, so that his panel pages I think are even better than his splash pages. But they did this weird like anime airbrush computer coloring on it that just muddied his pencils. And so when people see it, they're like, "What's that?" Because it doesn't look like what was published at all. Um, but to the point, Jim Lee's a very famous artist, and any cover is going to be a valuable cover. But I and most people who are, you know, comic book art collectors respect that page more because the artwork is legitimately better than the thing that everybody else has, that everybody else can access. So um, I think you have to bear in mind and consider if you're going to be investing in things, how different um, what made an object famous is from what the object is itself. That's not a thing in NFT, you know, NFTs are what they are. And the yeah, best yeah. NFTs are produced specifically for the NFT space. So I'll give you an example. One of the five artists that the NFT agency started with we started with five. So we started with um, Jose Rodolfo Loaiza Ontiveros, um, uh, InDecline, um, Ken Salter, Howard House and Panic Collective. And um, Panic Collective and In Decline are connected, but all the rest of them are, are, are not like each other. And with Jose Rodolfo Loaiza Ontiveros, most commonly known as um, uh, um, Rodolfo or um, Rodolfo Loaysa. He's the guy that did the remixed Disney memes. So, like two princesses kissing each other, two princes kissing each other, um, Pinocchio shooting up heroin, uh, drunk Snow White, which became like a huge meme when Liberty Ross, who's married to the director of Snow White and the Huntsman tweeted it at Kristen Stewart, who's having an affair with her husband and playing Snow White, and she wrote in the meme, apparently she's not so innocent or so nice as a straight burn on Kristen Stewart. And this got like millions and millions of views. It wound up in um, Vanity Fair. So that wasn't the first piece of his we rushed into the NFT space. We'll get there because that's a very, very valuable piece of IP. But we're also not just putting these paintings as NFTs, we're animating them. So we're taking artwork, which is 2D flat artwork inspired by motion animation that's decades older and putting it back into the, the media that influenced the work that we all know. So there's a kind of cute connect happens where you've got a return to the original source material that is unlike and some might say better. And the artwork that we know because it has sound, it has motion, it transforms into something that you couldn't just hang on your wall It would have to be on a video screen that can encompass all that extra action.
0: So actually that I, I had a thought about that uh, not too long ago because um, we, we're going into this age where we're, we're, we have uh, we're doing more meetings online less mm-hmm. so in person and we're, and we're, we're very close to the point where AR is going to be very and VR is going to be very predominant. Yeah. So you can actually hang digital art conceivably in like your digital room yeah. somewhere and show people around the world. And I think that could be a huge catalyst for the popularity of NFTs. I mean, yeah. if you have friends who are, in, I have friends all over Instagram who I've never met before, but maybe I could show them my digital room, yeah. right?
2: Oh, totally. I mean, And that's actually, so like these, you know, I call them boxes, but they're, um, I, they might be called lockers. Um, And it's sort of like, imagine you have to move furniture across the Atlantic. You know, you buy one of these big steamers, you know, and, and um, it would you, know, you either you go to the port in Baltimore and it's going to go to Paris and you fill this thing with all the with all this stuff What you're describing is the best way of sharing something, because you can have a virtual experience on a flat screen television. You can have it on your website. You can have it as a shared VR experience where it's like, here's my QR code. Watch this put on your headgear and experience my art collection. I mean, that sounds really cool until it turns into baby pictures, right? Where every person who's meeting is like, oh, <laughs> look, at, look at my art collection. And everybody's like, becomes a little bit more self-absorbed again. But to your point, you could own a Louvre worth of art and feature it all on a single screen. So as we see real estate prices going crazy, especially here in California, like I'm at this point, I'm like, I'm, I can't afford property in California. Like, and what I would pay for it could get something five times the size ten times more impressive almost anywhere else why don't i do that you know and so what's going to be important to me there's going to be the local culture and interaction that i need of any place i would choose to move but do i necessarily have as much wall space as i would have had before if i don't have to worry about where to hang stuff if i can just have you know like that great blade runner apartment you know he walks into this shitty building with graffiti all over the the door And he gets into his apartment, and it's gorgeous. And then that wall can turn into anything. We're so close to that being affordable. Honestly, like a liquid crystal wall is very close to being very affordable um, and actually into providing nature environments that will cause you less cancer than the actual nature environments, which is kind of amazing. But if you can turn that into an AR or VR experience just in your own home or you can have it be something that's programmable by two moving projectors along the walls, which is what they showed us in um, the very possible, I've seen demos for this, then you're now transforming how important it is to have a digital art collection. But more to the point, we're now talking about not just that piece of artwork living on the blockchain, but that being just a marker for the piece, because I wanna give you as an artist something that is incredibly higher res and what I can you can buy and sell through a marketplace. So the maximum megabyte capacity for most of these marketplaces is 50 megabytes. Now that's not very big, but if when you buy it, I also shoot you a we a we transfer link that's got a 40 gigabyte file, like a movie that you could own, then that's a whole other thing. And I think people are starting to understand that you can go beyond just what's in, immediately presented on your marketplace to purchase there are other things that artists are offering some artists are offering a physical certificate people certainly did you know and a lot of people don't want that you know I, i'm not sure that i want that but it's it's cool
0: it's going backwards yeah. yeah
2: yeah but it's also like i guess that that double blind you know like <laughs> you have your, your your stock certificates in your safe, and you have your stock portfolio at H and R Block. You know, like, and so it, it's sort of a double blind, especially for people who are afraid they're going to forget their passwords. You know, like, and most people, I I keep all my crypto stuff on a USB drive. It's it's you know I don't keep it on my computer, and you know smart people do, but you know a lot of people don't, and so a lot of people have had their wallets raided. My very first wallet, where I bought, I mean, I bought Doge when it was like. Eight decimal places eight zeros back before a cent and I bought I've stuck like when Bitcoin was fluctuating I'm like well doge never changes value I could just put all my I'll just move my Bitcoin into doge this is when Bitcoin I think was this was a while ago this was probably like six hundred dollars a coin or something and I moved like a couple of coins into, into a doge wallet that I immediately forgot the password for so I cannot retrieve that doge wallet which how much is that worth now eight decimal places Mm. back before a cent, it's worth millions. So um, and it was two bitcoins worth. So I would be a billionaire, Um, but it's monopoly money, right? Because it's it wasn't a billion dollars then. And so that's the point, right, that I think that there's going to be some learning curves, there's going to be some some levels of adjustment and comfortability before the majority of people who are already putting money into collectibles or in financial markets are comfortable enough to start um, doing regular cryptocurrency purchases. But I think that crypto art will be a huge motivator for that because there's, a, there's an added value to that. There's no one really boasts. I mean, if you've got two Bitcoin you have a lot of money, you've got like almost $100,000. There's a lot of people that have $100,000. People don't walk around saying, hey, look at my bank account. Not only is that gross and like completely you know, um, narcissistic, there's just nothing really attractive about it. But if I show you something that's worth $100,000 and you think it's cool, that's better than me showing you a bank account with a million dollars in it. And so I think that's another aspect to that pride of ownership, the cool factor. like. Beyonce owns a crypto punk and I own a crypto punk. I'm like Beyonce, you know, like there's that um, that freedom and that um, comfort of association. It's it's a type of peer pressure that can also be heavily rooted in your own personal taste. And it can be like the early Internet, something that actually connects people, you know, that if you are all collectors of a certain artist's work, you can find out who else owns stuff and you could do a thing where, hey, you want to. Do you want to showcase my piece in your private you know, um, curated space in your house with my blessing, with a letter that, from me that says that you have permission to do this? Hey, let's do a timeshare situation for um, buying and selling NFT art, where all of us in this one group can borrow and, and have times where we get to showcase this work in one place or another. Can people cheat? Yes, they can. But I think that the people who would be in a single group would be able to share in that capacity without any one of them ever losing the option of holding it. But you could also have funds where people all at one time get to say, "I own that piece" by accessing the fund. And if they, for some reason, fall out of um, out of, um, you no, know, we'll say favor with that fund, you can kill their their connection to it. You can cut off their um, their access to that that piece. But as a building of fund, that becomes really fascinating.
0: We might be able to do that today. I mean, I, just off the top of my head, you could write a simple smart contract to to kind of decide ownership on that. Or you could just r- run a wallet where it's multi-sig. Right. You know, each, one, each one of you have, have the keys to that. But yeah. but yeah, it actually opens up a lot of uh, interesting possibilities. You could you have, have five a, people a, that a joint gallery. Yeah, that have a
2: shared gallery that sort of have their own museums in their own houses. I mean, it's, it's endless possibilities to why it's a good reason to get involved in NFT because I think, you know, and certainly there's some stuff that that hasn't arrived yet, right? Just like Jim Lee has held back that interconnected cover to X-Men number one. You know, it's like five different pieces of artwork, which he just did this funny sketch, you know, online where the drummer from um, System of a Down accidentally spills coffee on it. Supposedly it's like a gag. But he held back his most important piece of artwork until his other pieces were selling, up above $150,000 and he anticipates that that piece will beat the Todd McFarlane record $686,000 for the amazing Spider-Man cover he's holding up. I mean it takes five pieces of artwork to do that, sure, is it one one piece of artwork? Kind of, but um, it's a smart thing to do. He's held back that rock star piece because he knows it's worth money. McFarlane for years owned all of his own art and only he traded some of it years ago and that's what we're seeing hitting the market these days but um you know a lot of stuff went early you know like i know people that bought almost all the artwork for warren publications in the 70s creepy eerie vampirella magazine uh 1984 1994 like all of those like awesome newsprint. you know pseudo adult dark sci-fi horror publications in the 60s and 70s All that artwork sold in a handful of sales um, from Jim Warren's garage in like 1982 or something like that. And the guy got the best of it for next to nothing. And some of it has changed hands over the years, but some of that's still in the same original collections. That stuff is worth a lot of money. That's gonna be true of any new to market thing. So these early NFTs, I mean, we may look back in a year and be like, oh my gosh, can you imagine People were offering their work for half an Ether just a year ago. You know, maybe it's going to start at 10 Ether. You know, like maybe that will be the going rate. But I think the artwork is going to change. You know, a lot of stuff, like, crypto punks are valuable. I don't get it. You know, like, I feel like Tom Hanks and Big. You know, it's like it's a robot that turns into a building. Well, what's fun about playing with a building? You know, and it's like, and, and it, with the crypto punks, I don't, I don't feel like They're very interesting. They don't really represent, you know, my aesthetic. I have no personal connection to that part of 4chan or whatever inspired it, that 8-bit type artwork. But Rodolfo's stuff is amazing. Um, You know, Ken Salter's work. Ken Salter is a, a, he was a Disney Imagineer. Uh, He helped build the new Star Wars land. Um, He worked with um, Jeff Koons you know, developing the balloon rabbit, like engineering that stuff. I mean, he's a, an important guy when it comes to, um, you know, patents on technology that feeds back into the art space. He's a musician. In his work, he creates these kind of mimetic mandala wow. images. And those pieces are like incredible that you can use for meditation and mindfulness. Um, he also has Parkinson's disease and he helped, you know, he built this machine that creates this artwork. That he can then kind of control. I mean, like owning a piece of that is incredible. Like these are going up at, at half an ether. There's no way that stuff doesn't become extremely valuable. There's no way that museums aren't buying this from the people who bought those those first NFTs. So, like you know, when we finally put up, you know, the Indecline stuff, you know, Indecline put out those naked Trump statues before the 2016 election. So naked Donald Trump with a little micro penis. There's a me there's a NFT and it's animated of the micro penis. It's called Dick Pick, and you see like a, a camera take a picture and like a Polaroid, out comes this close-up image of a little mini dick on the statue. Like the bragging rights of owning Trump's micropenis has got to be pretty high. Like, somebody, some head of state, should be wanting to pay like ten million dollars, you know, to own that just to piss off Donald Trump. You know like so there's like you know a whole I, bunch of stuff like you know
0: that. what i think is missing you know what i think is missing that would just throw this over the edge in terms of value a way to display it because half the fun of collecting is to to show it off right well so, people buy billboards like, you,
2: right like in hollywood you've yeah. seen the movie about the guy that had all the bus benches and you've seen angeline like took over all those uh billboards advertising herself I don't think any of it ever led to work for either of them, but they became iconic billboards that are sort of like a type of public performance art. Well, now there's a lot of digital billboards. You could foreseeably rent a billboard and run your art collection on it with your identity on that billboard. Your museum is now a public museum that people see in traffic every day, and it's not that expensive. Billboard space is not that expensive. Think of Times Square. Like, you know, you've got all that stuff going by on the ticker. What if instead on the bottom of the ticker, instead of like NASDAQ prices, like you see in the bottom of like Fox News or MSNBC, it had like artwork or it had QR codes that you could take a picture of with your phone and then have this entire experience. I mean, companies do that all the time, but an art collector or someone who's an art patron can absolutely do that. And they do. You know, when uh, Panic collected a bus bench takeover, or their, their personal logo is this. It's kind of like screw the hoop symbol. And so they put them across the street from schools and banks, and they, they just grabbed the, um, the vinyls from a bunch of bus benches in L.A., flipped them around and printed their logo on the back and stuck them back in the bus benches. So it didn't actually vandalize the thing that they took. It was a secondary use, and they left them there. And, of course, the companies that take out those ads don't save them. They get, you know, cleaned and reused or whatever. So it's a kind of funny statement of what is graffiti. To me, advertisements are graffiti. If you're sticking an ad for like Starbucks in my face, I did not give you permission to put that out in my face, but somebody's able to put it on a billboard, that's graffiti to me. You know, I'd much rather see, I mean, I'd much rather even see like a retina piece, you know, than to see, you know, a Starbucks advertisement. But there's, there's a lot of art that we have to choose from. I think that that would be a good use for that. I think that would make people say, that's pretty cool. And you have public standards. Well, that's
0: I cool. No, I agree. But I was actually thinking more in terms of a digital virtual space. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could show, you know, people like cause if, if you if you put it in Times Square, you still kind of localize the audience, right where it's like, I almost I almost feel like there's an opportunity here for some kind of business. That Times Square out. on
2: Half-Life you know like you know like there's (laughs) uh you know the metaverse you know like the metaverse has already launched galleries so like i think as more people get into that there's gonna be i mean every game you can hack a game like you always find somebody who has you know whether it's fortnite or some other like major game someone has made like their own weapon you're like where the hell did they get that and you realize Mm -hmm. they found out how to trick out the programming on this game to give themselves something that nobody else has people can do that you know like you could actually you could set up little stops in a game where all of a sudden you just split the reality of, I don't know, the next uh, Suicide Squad game or the next Miles Morales Spider-Man game. And all of a sudden this building that isn't in the game that the gamers didn't program appears in the game and then you walk in and it's my art collection. You know, like as long as I was able to share, you know, that um, that update, which I could, of course, and people would share it on on groups like Discord then anybody who had that game could hack their own game to put this into it. I mean, that's going to become much, much more common than it already has been because kids today are pretty savvy about how to um, tackle programming and, and do little things that add, you know, personal value to the, to the games.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know what? If, if, if one of the platforms would actually integrate NFTs, this could be huge. Like imagine Instagram has an NFT room or whatever your collectibles are. You, you go to my Instagram page and you go to my room and you can see this stuff. Like how crazy would
2: that be? Well, there's like, I see it on on Instagram. Now I have to look because I can't remember what they call it anymore. But um, on Instagram, you've got several options of what you can upload, right? So you've got posts, you've got story, you've got reels. So some people do just put their mm-hmm. NFTs up on reels. Um, I know that Decline um, oh. client have done that. You know, and that's helped build yeah. up their fan base. I mean, they're huge. You know, they, that, they've done so many incredibly important political um, kind of pranks, you know, that really speaks to the people who are really spending a lot of money on NFTs because we're t- we really are talking about early adapters of 2chan and 4chan and, you know, a lot of internet you know savvy groups. And so they love that kind of gotcha stuff and they love that kind of guerrilla, you know, political art stuff. So You know, there's, there's, it's all about finding your audience, right? You know, like here's the thing, like a lot of artists went on to OpenSea and and launched their artwork, tree fell in the woods, you know, like nobody knew, nobody was aware. They have four followers. It doesn't matter. You know, like it really, you have to have an amount of marketing behind it for it to really take off. Um, You know, I'm, I'm in a company that we've just launched and we have spent a lot of money on, on marketing and in advertising. And it's still not where I would like it to be. It's not where I expected it to be even. And I've got better art ostensibly than most of what's out there. So it is really about drawing attention to that cool thing. I mean, you'll see it at Burning Man, I'm sure when that gets back off the ground, you'll see it at Wasteland Weekend. You know, you're gonna see it like where a lot of techno savvy people gather and do things. A friend of mine just, he was all over Europe hitting all these crypto conferences in the last month and a half, you know, from seriously um, Croatia, to switzerland and then he was back in the us and he was in denver and he's been in san francisco at all these crypto conferences and a lot of what they're looking at is well we need to build crypto cities you know like we need to build an infrastructure that is from that same group think that led to things like burning man you know before they became like you know just a party in the desert for rich people that hire people to air condition their tents. But like, there's an element of that anarchist that's good anarchy, you know, that is trying to improve the world, Um, you know, 3D um, printing of buildings, you know, and stuff like that. And how do you, um, atmospheric water um, collectors, you know, the type of stuff that seems like science fiction that is absolutely possible, no one's really doing it. And it takes a lot of will and it takes a lot of resource. It doesn't necessarily take a lot of money, but a lot of the guys that made a fortune in crypto early have a lot of resource and are trying to think like, well, how do I use this well? Like you can't take everything out of the system. You still want to maintain the importance of why, you, why cryptocurrency is a thing. It, is, it should be ostensibly better than a centralized currency. You know, We, we touched on Binance. And I have to talk about Binance. we were going to launch on binance's platform because they were using proof of value not proof of work as the machine behind their gassing and minting of nfts so it's greener it's um i know that i would call it green but it's it's less impactful less harmful than the standard amount of electricity and resource that goes into usually minting nfts you'll you'll see this on any time you mention nfts uh you go into some group on Facebook where people read something by somebody who they trust, but they don't know, you know, it's, it's like, you know, we all know that you can have hit a switch on the wall and the light comes on. We know that it's electricity, but we can't all tell you exactly why that happens. There's a lot of people that talk about the light switch and, you know, they don't really understand the mechanics of it. And so there's a, a big thing of like, oh, NFTs are bad for the environment. And it's like, well, is it worse for the environment than a gas guzzling car? Is it worse in the environment than eating meat? You know, is it worse? the environment than things that most of us do every single day no it isn't is it good for the environment no can it be yes if you change the platform by which you equate value you can but value is is different than the proof of work so you know it's mathematical algorithms which power a lot of these things and so that's proof of work so no one would be ever gassing or on bitcoin because they're too expensive and now ether is getting so exp- expensive you know ethereum that people are starting to look at other platforms. What would be less impactful, less harmful if we can use this other chain and then just only put on the Ethereum block proof so that you're not occupying 50 megabytes, you're occupying like nothing. You're occupying like you know literally basically nothing Um, as opposed to what the worst estimates are which is that um, the minting of uh, a piece of of art on a blockchain is equivalent to one hour of international flight one person that's the worst that's not everything how
0: did they reach that uh,
2: it's a study that that, there are three studies that were done independently i think one of them is mit um but they don't have enough of a control group to really prove that that's the case so it's seen as an outlier but it gets reported all the time so people see as they do with pop science, you know, they'll see something and it becomes a reality. Um, But that that does represent an absolute worst possible scenario. But now think of this one million people every day take international flights. So that brings that number way, way down of like what we think about when we think of one hour of international flight. So in a 24 hour period, a million people are taking those flights. And that's just passengers. That's not that's not crew.
0: I, I just feel like they 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 have to have made some assumptions and made some uh, false equivalencies. Totally. It's it's
2: How do you It's non-scientific it's science, digital. right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean right. I think and I like I say I think that that's like the worst that's the worst possible case scenario and I think that it's way less than that. But the um but we can still make it better and I think you know why we kind of went with Binance to do that and then as we started getting into it it's like it's Binance, it's China, and, um, you know, they're centralized, they're centralized, which we didn't realize when we were going into this. And then the other thing, which is even worse, is that they're, they're censorship. You know, we, we got feedback on one of the NFTs that I think they called it tacky or something like that. And I'm like, your centralized platform is calling this artwork tacky. It's like burn them. we're off the platform. And then we went over to Foundation and um, we had also gotten so much communication from the fans of these artists artwork who like well if it's on binance i can't buy it because their platform you couldn't be based in the united states to use so you have to set up a proxy or a vpn to even buy and trade through it this is new this didn't used to be the thing and you can still have a binance account in the u.s but you can't buy on binance marketplace in the u.s and that probably has to do with politics over the last couple years in certain united states politicians being really agitated towards china Um, But, you know, your idea, the elements to a good idea there, you know, like we could easily move over to a proof of value instead of a proof of work concept, we could move over to an echo coin where you produce a coin every time you plant a tree, you know, and you know, you'd have people that you'd have, you know, crypto billionaires that are, you know, more socially conscious would put tons of money into that just to plant more trees um you could also set one up on salinization of water salinization of ocean water where you set up a cryptocurrency that's based upon the cleaning of the ocean I mean any one of these things is possible um maybe they don't become as valuable as a a single Bitcoin or a single ethereum but it will maintain a value and it will maintain a value that can be bought and traded and sold as a commodity that we can choose not to use a perhaps more electronically or petroleum dependent um, robust system but understand that you're looking at art, what is most art sold in museums made of? Whale paint, acrylic, wood, paper? (laughs) What was used to produce it? Animal hair? Um, You know, whale blubber? Um, You know, wood, ivory? So if someone's going to make an argument that making digital artwork specifically for a digital space is worse for the, the future of our environment, than a vermeer and i just don't really think that they're thinking seriously or scientifically about that opinion and i i honestly i live in california i bet in 20 years oil paintings will be illegal in california they'll pass some kind of ecological um, law that it's too taxing in the environment we you can't buy and sell oil paint and at that point it's kind of like who cares like you can do you can make an oil painting digitally the best painters. Of digital artwork are great painters in real life. You know, so it's they're just taking new tools and they're able to paint faster because they can backtrack a mistake. I will say that you lose a certain element of discovery when you're able to re- replace a mistake very easily, and that's going to change the type of art that we see. That's which won't make old paintings bad. It will give them more value as something that is obsolete, which is why people collect eight-track cassettes. You know, why why I still buy vinyl? You know. I've got vinyl. No, I like the twelve inch yeah. by twelve inch artwork. Um, the yeah. the album remasters of previous records do sound better, you know, subjectively and objectively better. And but CD CD sounds a hell. I don't care. There are people that love their vinyl. Uh, something recorded and and, um, and mastered digitally is going to sound better on a CD or these newer formats in a UHD disc than um, than on on vinyl. Absolutely, one hundred percent of the time.
0: You know, I don't know who started that, uh, that as the reason for me, vinyl, like, so I shoot film as well. Mm -hmm. I I got, I've got a bunch of, you know, mechanical cameras and it's like, it's digital is obviously easier and cheaper, but I, it's the experience of shooting the film. And and I feel like it's the same thing for vinyl. It's, it's the experience. It's the whole thing. The
2: filmmakers who shot on film and like film have a nostalgia. So really they're married to the nostalgia of the format and they're lazy because old white men are generally lazy. I am an old white man and I know my shortcomings. I am not able to learn as quickly as I could when I was a younger man. And because of that, they don't want things to change because they've invested so much of their lifetime in this. But there are innovative filmmakers. There are, you know, Alejandro Genarowski is almost 100 years old and he's shooting digitally. And the, the movies he's shooting are as beautiful as the films that he shot in 1971. Um, you know, it's, you can argue aesthetic, you can argue things. There are ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish Accomplish using new tools. There isn't something you can do with a, with a film camera that you cannot do with some kind of digital effect or digital lens. You just have to learn it and know it. And they're afraid that they don't know it and they don't want to have to rely on somebody who does know it, who's going to look at them and think less of them now because they know more than this person who's supposedly the best. And I think that that there's a lot of ego involved in, in learning something Mm. new.
0: I, I, I agree the, um, so I'm, I'm a photographer videographer by trade and I, I obviously learned on digital Mm. and that's the only way I can do this job is because it was, if it was back in the film days, I would have
2: gone broke trying to learn the art of it, but not to mention, you you um, need a dark room. you know, like you have to have resource you know, in order to do it. So the um, those chemicals are incredibly terrible entry. for the environment and they're dangerous. And, you know, the um, what they do to your body is you're in those rooms. But if you want to do that, you should be able to do that. You know, like it's just that when does it come down to the point that there'll be people who only want to work in film and the cost of doing it is not just their cost, you know, like that those chemicals are not so common anymore that creating them puts a burden on, on society and on the environment. I mean, we're getting there. We're getting there with all of these things. You know, like I'm sure that right now I could stick some weird sticker on the back of my laptop and sit outside and the sun would power my laptop. Now my battery isn't different. So that battery is eventually going to hit a landfill because what's more toxic than a laptop battery, I mean, maybe a nuclear weapon but like actually
0: i gotta i gotta i gotta mention that there's a guy in california right now he's a co-founder of tesla he's opened a recycling plant so the lithium ion batteries uh, uh, theoretically 90 to 95 percent of the components are actually recyclable it's just um, that's great we don't have the manufacturing so so his mission is now because what, what they're saying is we're going to mine um a sufficient amount and then um, thereafter we're just going to continue to recycle recycling that. Yeah. so we wouldn't mind any further so that's the dream yeah so and and that's the sad part is most people do think batteries are toxic and and um one-time use and they and they do throw them out but there there's actually quite a few companies now trying to recycle them
2: that's good i mean again that's one more reason to move into digital art you know it's like yeah that's like that just proves so i was in a comic book um like podcast uh room on facebook um uh a friend of mine is one of the two hosts, and the other host is—I might have met him; I'm not sure. But it's—it's um, it's sort of like a, a, an echo chamber for people who don't want things to change. Like they're—they're they're all comic book collectors, but you know they don't want to admit that. Well, shoot, you know, buying and reading physical comic books is bad <laughs> for the environment. You know, like there's no reason to do it except to collect it. And I collect them. I'm not saying I'm better than they are, but I also don't think it's virtuous. You know, and maybe part of the value of it as we move forward will be, you know, like in a Ray Bradbury world that you don't use paper that way anymore. You know, it's it's not necessary that, you know, the word is, is forbidden to us, but that the format itself is obsolete. You know, and that gives something value. You know, people collect fossils. These are modern fossils. These are modern fossils that are still being made that at some point are gonna go away. And the ones that are being made right now are being made at such a scarcer quantity that they stand to be much more valuable than the ones that came before. You know, last week, Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man 1962, just sold for $3.6 million. That's way more than the last sale for Action Comics number one, first appearance of Superman, which is more than 20 years older, or Detective Comics number 27, the first appearance of Batman, which is also many years old, that's 1938, I believe, and I think so. And um, so, you're, I mean, we're seeing that people are starting to understand that mint-conditioned rare things are extremely valuable, and they're tangible, and during this whole lockdown, people started collecting things again start surrounding themselves with little pieces of happiness and I I think they're hooked I don't think they're gonna stop doing it and if you uh, accumulate a lot of things you know like you mentioned you played Magic the Gathering would you ever play Dungeons and Dragons
1: no I, I play it
2: yeah yeah we talked about that that's right so so Dungeons and Dragons what is the most valuable thing that you can find on a low-level campaign bag of holding. Yep. Yep. You can carry a lot of jewels in it. Like, what good is it finding a, a, a dragon's lair filled with gold if you can only carry one bag of gold back? You know, and like most dungeon masters don't even take into consideration physics and they'll let a party take everything out of that out of that cave. And you're like, so how do we get all that stuff out of that cave? You know, but like, that's what digital collecting does. Digital collecting is a bag of holding. It is a magical item that lets you carry almost everything with you, no matter where you go. And you can choose to have a 17 inch wide um, bag of digital art holding, or you can choose to have a phone, or you can choose to keep it on a USB. Like the possibilities of collecting when you're collecting something that is tangible in a sense, but not physically occupying space, allows us so many more possibilities as collectors, as exhibitors, as um, as institutions, as legacy. And I think that when people really grasp that, then the whole NFT market will really start its ascent because it hasn't really started its ascent. It's like I say, we're, we're in the sub basement. You know, the 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 awareness was kicked off when Beeple's piece sold for that much. He had actually sold quite a few pieces for more than a million a million dollars prior but um you know it's it didn't get a lot of attention because nobody was a couple million dollars in the art world isn't much money there's a lot of stuff that's a couple million dollars but 60 70 million dollars still is an, an attention grabbing thing and i think there was also a sense among the art cognoscenti that it wasn't a particularly good art piece or something you know they were judgy about it but in truth, it's what it's like—thirteen years of work or something. You know, it's like, come on, it's it's huge. That's that's an amazing thing. Like someone being able to sell that. Just the physical idea of selling thirteen years of a new work every day. Where would you put that? Like as a collector, in various sizes. You know, it's like. So I think that it was an eye opener. It was like the the first, you know, it landed the first blow. But it certainly hasn't really, it's like pre-fight. You know, it's like, that's, you know, when they hold, before even the press conference, when they start talking noise about each other. It's like, this is is pre-game. This is before the league. This is people saying, hey, what are they doing over there? Like looking across the parking lot, trying to figure out what's going on. And when people finally get up and like form a little circle around these two guys in the parking lot, and they do start talking about Fight Club, it's going to go bananas.
0: So I think... You just touched on something. You, you just made realize something. I think that's the issue. There needs to be a quote-unquote leap. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, it's kind of the wild west. It's unorganized. Like, what? how many wallets can you hold these things in? How many chains do they exist on? But once it's more structured, I suppose, yep. I mean, you know, then, then people will have um, way less um, hesitance to get into it because it's all explained. It's all you know structured.
2: Yeah, uh, the curation is a huge part of that. So seeing things that yeah. are a bit more curated, make it better um you know that's why nifty gateway and super rare became important early on because they were seriously curated formats but it also i don't know that the people that are behind that have better or worse taste than anybody else um but i I do think that it is a little limiting because of their capability of where they're at right now that will expand and then you'll be able to say like oh i want this type or i want that type and that will still be curated for you um but like you say it's Notification, right? So we need Beyonce, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, you know Edith Broad, um, the Resnicks, the big art collectors of note to dive headlong into record-breaking prices of NFTs, but also into massively collecting people at the top of the bottom, because what made the Broad collection, you know, before um, Eli died recently. Um, Edith was the main driver of their collection for years. Uh, but they were buying Hearst before it was millions of dollars. They were buying Coons before it was millions of dollars. So they they were heavily invested deep collectors in a handful of artists who they thought were doing very, very interesting work. If they start doing that in the digital space, in the crypto space, then that sends a message to the people who look to them as leaders of thought about what's important to buy in the art world, that it's now time for them to buy in the art world as well, that's when you'll start to see the tipping point. That's when you'll start to see a very big difference between who's big now in the traditional art world and who's big in the digital space. You know, Hearst got in early and did a smart thing. He basically copied what the Panic Collective announced they were going to do, which is that any available physical artwork would be destroyed once it became an NFT And when you buy that NFT, you get a video of watching them destroy the physical art piece so that you know you're the only one that owns it. He did it a little bit different. He said you have the option of either owning the physical piece or the NFT. And if you buy the physical piece and you only want that, he'll burn the NFT. If you buy the NFT, he'll destroy the physical artwork. So it's it's a bit of a riff on what the Panic Collective had already announced. Um, But, you know, what's that mean? That means that now the Panic Collective are a thought leader that Damien Hurst is copying. So when their first NFTs actually hit market, you're an idiot if you don't try and get them for the opening price, because it's important work. It's already been deemed important by somebody who's at the very top level of the art market vis-a-vis him copying their announcement. And I mean, it's, it's not plagiarism, it's different, but it's, it's in the zeitgeist. It's in his mind. The best work being produced for NFTs is being produced specifically for that space. It, it is of and in the format that people who appreciate digital work like. So it's motion, it's sound, it's often funny, or it's challenging. And so that's very different from necessarily what you might hang on a wall in your house. Like, imagine this. So this is a great idea. People buy architecturally significant buildings. If you go to sci which is arguably the greatest architectural school in the world, you'll go and you'll see their senior projects and you'll see a dozen buildings that cannot be built. They are physically impossible to build, but you have to dream it before you can build it. What if you could buy a two scale like, you know, you're talking about terabyte file of an actual skyscraper built by an AIM architect? It only exists in your hand, in your phone, in the metaverse. Isn't that worth the same price as the actual building? Only you don't have to go through the actual expense of building it. Because anybody who's ever built a house, anybody who's ever built a shed, knows that it costs you more than you thought it was going to cost you. But the idea of being able to own the bragging rights to a Pritzker award-winning architect's work that isn't built because it can't be built, but it can be built virtually. Like that should be something that becomes a hundred million dollar NFT. You know, these are things that should be routinely selling in the tens of millions of dollars. They don't exist yet, but they will. You know, um, there's a whole bunch of musicians and filmmakers who have not adapted to NFT yet that will. And when they do, if they're doing unique pieces like Wu Tang clan did with their like one record that they get to steal from you in the night and that douchebag that run that drove up the prices on prescription aids medication bought, hoping that Taylor Swift would listen to it with him or something crazy like that before he went to jail um if you can own the only recording of it in in, as an nft you can choose to do whatever you want with it you you could let everybody listen to it but you're clearly the person who owns it you can even embed you know in a shared um file that the name of your account is right on it and you can remain anonymous and just have your public face, whatever your wallet is under, you know, be the be the benefit from sharing this, this thing with the world. There's a lot of ways that in almost every way, it makes more sense as something of value and something that moves forward. But we are a society that is mired in physical things. We are um, very much connected to the tangible and by nature of something that is a non-fungible token um there's going to be people that are going to be suspicious of it or not quite understand it and still want to have something else but it's also just as we saw people getting into Marie Kondo and like simplifying their lives this gives you both this is your cake and eating it too this is giving you a clean environment that allows you to have a massive collection without clutter but it also lets you know it lets you stay a collector you know you, you don't have to feel bad about owning something and i think that's there's a heavy amount of shame embedded in simplifying one's life and i don't think that that's fair
0: you know what i you you just cleared something up for me because for the longest time i was trying to kind of um i guess value and where nfts are useful or or what they could represent but now you just introduced a, a brand new idea like an in, in nft it can facilitate the ownership and trade of abstract things, like thoughts the the blueprint. Yeah. Like that's incredible, actually. That's incredible. Like, so what if you 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 win a contest to meet uh, I don't know Elon Musk. He's running for charity, mm-hmm. right you You guys have a conversation. You spark him to say a quote, and he now buy an nFT of that quote. like yeah. how how cool is that, right? Like that just just everything opens up, like everything opens up. yeah.
2: that is interesting jesus wept (laughs) you know it's like it is endless you know i think um obviously there's no value to me minting an nft of a line from the bible it exists it's out there it's i didn't invent it but new things like that you know new thought experiments um and i think this is all a huge hey if we're living in in um in any kind of hologram then we just made ourselves more interesting for the players And that's a good thing. I think that that's a that's a damn good thing. And NFT allows that. But also, I think it's a great equalizer. You know, um, there are people who have a means of creating artwork. In a digital space that through physical ailment could never do them in in the physical world. And I think I hope that the NFT is a format that will be much more welcoming to people who have um, physical disabilities. I hope that it becomes a way of, as it has with Ken Salter already, providing mindfulness for people with physical disabilities, um, you know, and with um, in severe um, health problems. Um, and that this gives us a, a way of embedding something other than just the aesthetic, you know. That I think the best of contemporary art is art that addresses either science or belief into an aesthetic um, setting, and maybe it always has. I think maybe the best paintings have always been that. Da Vinci painted religious figures and embedded them with a type of mathematics. You know, it's always been in the work. Now we get to reverse it and say, well, let's make mathematics this important aspect of it. Let's make the science the important aspect of it, and let's embed somewhere else in there something mystical and something aesthetic. That we get to turn that whole idea of art history on its head through a new format i mean i don't know that there was anything stopping you know contemporary physical artwork from doing that but no one went there with it like the enemy was the thought experiment itself you know the limit was the idea of a limit when you open up and tell somebody that something is possible they now can can start working towards it i would say this as a kid i grew up in you know north of boston Lynn, salem area and i never knew anybody who made I knew a few people that were in bands. I didn't, I met some people even as a kid who were very, very famous musicians, but I didn't know of a recording studio. I, I certainly didn't look in the back of a record and see, you know, um, Electro records, Lynn, Massachusetts, you know, Warner brothers, you know, Salem, Massachusetts, they're all in Los Angeles. They're in New York. So I had to leave where I came from to find out about this thing that interested me. And it's those two things have been a huge part of my career as an adult, you know, in dealing in intellectual property, whether it be music or film. I couldn't do it where I was because it wasn't possible. It wasn't an example for me to follow. That's gone now. You know, we're in a Zoom here. You know, we're, we're having a real time conversation that other people are going to watch and maybe learn from or maybe hate on. Who cares? The fact is that this is normal. This isn't special. This is something that is happening. It is it is a example of a possibility that didn't exist a very short time ago. And now with that possibility, it's like, well, what else can we do with Zoom? You know, and like, so people are doing very, very interesting things. You know, the idea of making collaborative movies via Zoom with separate scripts and people each doing their own part hasn't quite happened yet, but it's it's close, like uh, we may see that in a, in a streamable format soon. So, once the reality is there, once, once the thought experiment becomes reality, then you can really, really transcend. And I don't know any other better way to do that than to have a format that, that supports that, but also gives credit. And that's the thing is that an NFT gives credit where credit is due. And if someone does something shady, it proves that they did something shady because it's there. So until that NFT is burned, you know, then then it's out there. Now, there are a lot of bad things that can come of that, you know, and I don't think you need to be too imaginative. I don't want to give anybody ideas. But there are bad things that can happen in that same way that can be blackmailable or can be, you know, um, shady. But again, that's going to provide a chain of title back to the shady person who's trying to do it. So in a way, that also provides a protection against it. So, I mean, as I look at what I'm seeing now, and like I said, we're beneath the sub-basement of the launch of what this can be. Um, And as someone who's getting involved in it, there's going to be pratfalls. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be false launches. There's going to be launches followed by periods of inactivity. And then finally, you know, I I think it's like anything you keep going and you you keep, you keep doing it until it clicks and just be mindful of the cost. It's, it's expensive to mint. It's expensive to gas and be aware that those, those prices change. You know, um, apparently Friday night is not a good time to do that. Um, Wednesday afternoon, not particularly great either, but maybe Tuesdays, maybe Mondays. Like, you got to kind of find where your flow is. I, I encourage all of the marketplaces to allow more than just Ethereum. You know, allow uh, less value um, tradable um, cryptocurrencies to provide blockchains to um to mint and and gas the works on, because it's just better for the environment, but it's better for art because some of the best artists came from nothing. And I think, you know, as a a fan of Outsider and vernacular work, you know, these are people that worked with what they had available. Sometimes it was house paint and scraps of wood from a, a storm that blew into their yard. And I think if we allow the NFT space to be just a place of privilege, where only people who have access to certain materials are able to take advantage of it, then we're gonna, we're gonna quickly um, hit a point where the artwork is boring. And so the way that we get beyond that and beyond this, um, the worry of places of privilege is by, you know, democratizing everything and letting it, you know, allowing a possibility for very, very inexpensive currencies to be utilized in order to make a mark on the chain. And I mean, that may call for a centralized ledger, which itself can be decentralized, um, you know, in order to, to keep track of things. But I, you know, it's important to me as well, that the buying and selling and trading of things are still able to preserve that initial resale royalty for the artist that creates it, and so there'll have to be a way to to bring that along with using different types of currency to power it.
0: I think um, I think the price, the gas is the gas will drop as soon as there's competition. Yeah, it's, when you're a monopoly and uh, the only functioning, you know, smart chain blockchain, what choice is there? But uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Cardano and I think yeah. if if nothing else they'll, they'll bring down the price. Um they're quite cheap to to trade on right now. I think somebody just the other day um they 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 did the hard fork that uh that initialized smart contracts and somebody right away um minted a couple of NFTs.
2: So I thought that was pretty interesting. So and and not just Cardano, um, yeah, let yeah, it I be think- everybody, you know, 100 currencies, you know, like less, you know, less known currencies, you know like let's these really, really, you know, 10 decimal place back currencies are, are fine to be able to mint on. Um, you know, the stability and what's behind it becomes an issue, of course, but I think, again, once you, yeah. you can mint there and then once you put put it in the ledger, it's there, you're safe. And, you know, it's it's really all about, you know, the, the proof of ownership. And as long as you've got proof of ownership, you've got proof of trade and you've got trackable transaction. And, you know, it's, I mean, you saw this, what El Salvador, selected Bitcoin as their their currency, I would have thought that would have pushed the value up on Bitcoin and it it drove it down. So people are deciding that El Salvador isn't a country that people in Bitcoin want to do business with. You know, I mean, that's a political statement, you know, when when the value drops because of it. So it's interesting to see that that that's, that's a proof of of financial um, accountability that we haven't really seen before in the crypto space. I like that. I think that's a good thing.
0: I actually thought it was more a case of buy the rumor, sell the news. Because um, you saw the Bitcoin price like to creep up but yeah. the, the weeks leading up to it. And I'm like, why would you just arbitrarily creep up in value? What does that really mean, right? I'm too For altruistic. Country, I'm
2: too altruistic. Yeah. I was hoping that people hated yeah. the regime or whatever. But um, but I, I guess no, that makes sense. No, a I absolutely
0: love that they adopted it. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely love that they adopted it. But in terms of like, um as an asset class. Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand why it would have affected the price at all. He, the, the math isn't there. Like yeah. it was just, you know.
2: I wonder so I mean there's it's it's hard to do pump and dump with a really established currency. But it does happen. I mean there's still market manipulation. There's enough people that have enough, you know, flesh in the game that they can still manipulate markets. But that's getting less common. You know, I mean the great thing about more people getting in on it is it gives less control to one person yeah. or one group of people. You,
0: you remember you remember, you remember the Bart days? <laughs> the Bart days of Bitcoin? Oh yes, my goodness. Yes. Like it was so blatant. It was blatant.
2: Yeah. I mean I was so I was manipulation now. I was surprised it took so long for it to happen with Doge because Doge was worth so little. You know, and clearly Musk did it to, to do a quick investment and drop. But um, I mean that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. But um, I, I think um, <laughs> I mean, I, I sort of I think I addressed most of the stuff that um, that I had wanted to cover with with NFTs. If there's anything else that, um, that you think we should discuss, I would love to. Um, I will give out a, a, a shameless self promotion, if I may, that um, you can look on on Discord and online for um, the NFT Art Agency, which you can find at the NFT there's links to uh, where the drops are happening on Foundation. The pieces that we have uh, already brought to market are um, Mexican Mickey by um, Jose Rodolfo Loaiza Antiveros, And um, I think we also did uh, the Bambi threesome piece, which was originally titled Spring Triple X, but we didn't want the Triple X in the title to cause problems in its searchability, so we, we opted for um, the Bambi threesome title. And um, we've got a couple of the emergence of the third eye pieces from Ken Salter as well. But you can see what we've got up our sleeves. We've posted images of the in-decline pieces, which include the Trump dick pic piece that we talked about, um, and some of the images from Panic Collective that will be forthcoming. And Howard Hallis, who is the um, guy who created the picture of everything, which was in um, Wired magazine about a decade ago. It's a 13 foot high, um, 12 foot wide, incredibly detailed like each drawing in it is like almost like a little bit bigger than the head of a pin of everything from nerd culture like everything from like you know star trek star wars lord of the rings to harry potter to marvel comics like everything is in this it took howard house like 13 years to paint it so in that capacity it's in that same wheelhouse as the Beeple piece um it's already a famous piece he's made lenticulars of it And um, Howard was a contemporary and partner with uh, Timothy Leary, actually set up the camera that allowed Timothy Leary to die live on the internet. So, um, you know, House is straight out of 4chan, created a lot of memes back in the day. Really amazing guy, is the biggest collector of Dr. Strange memorabilia in the world. And um, just a really, really good guy, um, you know, taught um, special ed for years in, in Los Angeles. And uh, so we're really, really happy to be moving forward with that. And a big part of who I've selected are not just people who I know have work that is memeable, that has gotten fame in that capacity, but people that I want to work with and people that I think are good people. Um, so we, you know, there are a lot of artists that I could work with that I've chosen not to, um, you know, that I either don't support their worldview or, um, or just don't necessarily like what their, what their work says about the world. But um, we are always looking to work with more people who, uh, who have, a, um, I think, a good outlook on what art can mean and what um, cultures it can touch and, and who it benefits. So, um, but that's the first strike. So if anybody's curious into looking into that, I encourage them to do so. And we're always learning, you know, so it's again, we, we started out with an invite as an agency. And so we've been putting up pieces as the agency that will immediately transition into us setting up specific um, wallets for each artist individually and just maintaining the um, the uploads for them so they can kind of just sit back and do what they do. When it comes to animating, you know, Rodolfo's work, we've we've done the animation to to change the pieces. He's loved what we what he's seen so far. And you know he's very much an important part of that conversation. We don't want to do something um, that would take away from what the original work was. We want the people who own those pieces to still have those pieces, but we do want to make what's available in the marketplace a unique thing for that new buyer. So um, uh, and anybody who's doing that, I, I think will will rise. I think that that's what they need to do to really so, get paid attention to.
0: So I've got a question. Um... So what would you tell somebody that wants to get into NFTs now? Because you're the gallery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they would need to locate an exchange. Um, like what what, what what, are sort of like the three things you would tell them to do to be able
2: to be a part of this? I would say I would not go to OpenSea. Um, I think OpenSea is just way too much of the Wild West. Um, I think there's a lot of junk there and finding the jewels is hard. Um, I would go to places like Foundation. Uh, nifty Gateway, super rare, even Rarible. Um, And just take a look and see if there's something that you like. And if you do, right below that person's profile shows what they've sold and how much it's sold for. So you'll get an idea of what the work goes for. And then you'll see what else is available. And then if you can't afford something unique, maybe you can buy an edition and you can get in that way. But anything that's that's on the market now, I think stands a chance to go up just because of where the market is. You know, we're really in its infancy. Um, but you should buy what you want and investigate the artist. like look into what they're, what they stand for. You know, one, one of the good things about us being an agency is we have a page on everybody that we are at, you can get in a couple of minutes, everything that you really need to know about the artists that we brought on board, you'll know what their politics are. Probably you'll know what the aesthetic is that they would want to push forward, you know, within the client, their, their politics are, not just on their sleeve, they're tattooed sleeves, you know, so it's like, you know, it's pretty easy to spot. But, um, you know, getting back in and, and like, why should I collect Howard House? Here's his, his, um, his res- his resume, you know, it's like, here's his, his um, past exhibition schedule, you know, like, here's why he's an important artist. If you've never heard of Ken Salter, you can look on that on that page that we have on Ken Salter and see the projects that he's worked on and, and the nature of his work. You can see videos of some of the other things that he's created in the past. Um, you know, same with Panic Collective. You'll see a very scary video when you watch Panic Collective because they're an anonymous um, group of them speaking, you know, in, um, with, the, with the voices completely altered and talking about, you know, what they do. And then you'll see the type of art that they do, which is mainly working in the iconography of music and film um, taking lyrics and even taking the words of critics and making them artworks. So it's high concept stuff. And, you know, sometimes they'll take on a big, a big target, you know, like they sort of, um, parodied, um, um, Richard, um, Richard Prince and did it in a way that Richard Prince would do it. And then Richard Prince retweeted it because he thought it was clever. So like, you know, you've, you've got a, a certain amount of provenance. Like if you're looking to, if you want to buy Richard Prince stuff, it's very, very expensive. If you look at Panic Collective and you see them as like the graduate of that school of thought, then you can get their work very, very inexpensively. Even you can look for their physical work and it's it's relatively inexpensive. So, um, you know, you, when you see what Howard House has accomplished just outside of, of the art world, he's somebody that you'd want to invest in because you want to, you want to give him possibility to continue making more work. And I think the investing in an emerging artist supplies any patron, which with a much better sense of what they're doing is good.
0: So so my question is this then, um, cause I'm wondering if this is part of the barrier to getting into NFTs. It's like, I'm assuming you need to have a certain level of understanding for crypto. Like you're gonna need a- You have to you have, have a wallet. Yeah, you have to have, you have, a wallet. have to have a wallet. you have to have a wallet. You have to know the platforms a little bit and be familiar with. So that's a little bit of um,
2: a leap right now. But I think what, like I say, the thing that has held people back is there wasn't something that they could only get with crypto before, right? Like crypto Mm -hmm. wasn't a means to an end. It was the end for people who were investing in something and they were investing in the crypto itself, but cryptocurrency isn't the end. It's a means to an end. It's, it's just another way of buying things. So for years, for like the entire, we'll say 10 year history of, of cryptocurrency writ large, the reason for buying it was not because you could buy something. I mean, there was to an extent in, you know, a black market sense, you can buy things anonymously, which is fine. But um, the real reason that you should be into it if you weren't is, can I only buy with crypto? Like if, if I can't get something because I'm not into crypto, then I better get into crypto if I want that thing. And I think that NFTs are the first thing to really supply that. And some of the the first NFTs that I think have supplied that on a level that we maybe haven't paid attention to would be a band, you know, like the Kings of Leon who dropped an album yeah. as an NFT. I'm a huge Kings of Leon fan. So if I want that record, I got to get a wallet and I got to buy that album as an NFT. That's a big thing. If Beyonce's next record is NFT only, and if she says you got to use Cardano to buy it, Cardano is going to take a big spike. You know, it's it's going to go up in value, and that's good for Cardano, and it's good for the uh, people being aware that there's more than just Bitcoin and Ethereum and Doge. But then you're going to have to say, okay, well now it's expensive to gas on Cardano. So what's the next thing? Like we have to. The good news is that it keeps moving. And I don't think you ever lose the thing that came before. It's not like the next thing makes the last thing less valuable, which is basically every other kind of technology, right? Like did a DVD player become worth more because a Blu-ray player came out? No, it became worth less. You know, did a UHD player, um, you know, uh, increase the value of a Blu-ray player? No, it, it decreased it. So like, we're not talking about obsolete format. We're talking about graduating a sense of what we need, which is More markets, more currencies, more possibilities, not crippling a market by replacing it. And, you know, the problem that the people who really got into crypto had with regular currency and the centralization of currency was it's eminently manipulable. Look at the RMB over the last 20 years, uh, the most um, manipulated currency in the world, except for maybe the Nigerian dollar, which is manipulated the opposite way, and all the stack of about hundred trillion um, Nigerian dollars um, cost you about a hundred bucks, but um, it's good to be able to fan through, you know, a few hundred trillion dollars. Uh, Worthless, (laughs) but it's fun, I'm sure. Um, And so I think as we, we really have to kind of look at what helped set this system up and it was a dissatisfaction with a handful of people having a lock on the economic uh, world. And what sucks is it's going to take some of those people, Embracing the next currency for it to change, which means that they're going to have to undo a bit of the power that they already have in order to try and claim some power for not just themselves, but the rest of us moving forward. That may be altruistic that I may, I can admit, may be a little altruistic, but I think they're going to have to as well, because as we saw with that GameStop thing, doesn't take a whole bunch of people to completely throw the markets into disarray, but what pissed people off was when someone stepped in and said, You can't do this. It's like, Well, why can't we do this? For yeah. you to say that we can't do this, you let those guys do this, you know, for a hundred years. You know, why? Because my name isn't JP Morgan. I can't do this. So that outrage is good outrage. Um, hopefully, it leads to good things and not just, um, well, you know, dissatisfied destruction of things.
0: Well, I've got a. A scenario where game theory takes over and you're, you're what what exactly what you just said will play out mm-hmm. and it's that china is this threat in terms of um reserve currency reserve u.s's reserve status right and i see a scenario where the u.s goes well either we lose reserve status and we have this foreign uh, dollar as as the you know what's being used or we all jump on bitcoin and we just all play even so it's either we lose or we play even and so I see that as a realistic possibility. So well, that, the price of
2: be electricity being what it is, um, China has an advantage if they hop back on to um, allowing cryptocurrency farming. Um, but that may lead to an overall drop in the price of electricity as the U.S. realizes, I guess we really do need to go solar. Oh, I guess we really do need to embrace wind. I guess we really do need to yeah. you know, move away from this imported petroleum. Why are we importing? Um, petroleum from the middle east i mean this is a whole other podcast guys i apologize but um, uh, I, I know exactly what you're gonna say we yeah. don't need it we, we've got el segundo yeah. we've got texas we've got alaska why are we importing any petroleum We it's it's stupid yeah. it's the dumbest thing ever and so yeah, why
0: is the number two producer importing from the number one producer like
2: it's insanity and, and it's mainly yeah. to block other countries from getting petroleum
0: I know it's, it's yeah, it's not for any real economic benefit to the U.S. So How
2: do you make petroleum less valuable so that it doesn't matter, so that you don't need to buy this this petroleum to block someone else from getting it? You move, you move the game, you change it. And so, I, you know, there, there may be something to that. it's I could see that playing out as a scenario. It's radical, but I think it could happen. I mean, um, certainly much more likely to happen than a constitutional amendment committee but uh we'll see you know and and whether it does or it doesn't if we're not invested if i can live in the united states and not be invested in the us dollar what do i care
0: yep exactly right exactly right exactly right well this has been a great conversation um you actually answered a lot of questions that i had about NFTs. like the whole world kind of just opened up for me
2: happy to be of assistance And I'm like, in a way, I'm like, I don't consider myself in any way expert on this, but I think I do see it from layman's terms and also as a gallerist. And, you know, that being pretty much who I am, I don't think I'm an extraordinary individual. I think I've, like anybody, a certain skill set. So if I if this is how I can understand it, if you really dig in and you really do the research, you stand to benefit greatly, like just like understanding a new language that's about to become, you know, the global language, and in a way already is, is beneficial. If, if you can communicate with everybody, then you have an advantage over somebody you can only communicate with someone like themselves. So um, I think that's rule one of any kind of investment strategy is find an advantage and knowledge is always an advantage. So research, you know, look into it, like, you know, you mentioned Cardano, that may be alien to a lot of people watching the show, you know, like, and it's not that uncommon. I mean, it's, you know, it's a top 10 currency, but, um, you know, there's, it's, they'll look at that and then they'll look at other stuff. Be you what know, read, white papers, you know, sometimes they're hard to read. Mm-hmm. If they're unnecessarily hard to read, stay away. You know, that's like the, the common sense, um, comprehension principle that if it sounds like bullshit, it's probably bullshit that most things should be easy to explain. Um, Sometimes you need to explain them by example. Like if I if we say if you've never seen baseball and I'm telling you about a baseball game you're like, well, how come he has to go? To, how come he goes to first? Because he has to go to first. You know, it's like if you, and then you see the game, you're like, oh, yeah. And then, he, oh, I get it. Like the logistics of of the explanation makes sense. And I think the problem has been that there's been a lot of unnecessarily complicated talk about cryptocurrency. Basically, what you need to know is that it's based on mathematics, not on um, on some other arbitrary thing. Um, that with a lot of passwords, uh, you can purchase and own things, and because of that, is a little bit safer than your bank account is. Um, and it's not tethered to any single economy, but it is as volatile as any other economy is. Um, in explaining NFTs, NFTs are artworks that are produced to exist specifically on a blockchain, which means there's a record of it forever. Um, there's a cost associated with putting it there so that the record is there forever. Um, and the prices are um, made volatile only by the cost of their minting and the appreciation by the marketplace. So, those are pretty easy principles, I think, for most people to, to understand. And it doesn't get too tough or beyond that. But the physical doing it of getting onto a platform and putting your artwork there. It just requires reading the instructions and taking the steps. And then if you are able to use a platform that you don't have to make using Ethereum, you can do it relatively inexpensively. And that's how I would do it. If, if you're an artist who just wants to get your work out there in that sense. But you do have people in some of the poorest communities in the world making a living from producing their artwork and putting it up as an NFT, where they could never do that as a gallerist. They couldn't even afford to mail the paintings to a gallery outside of their cities. Um, they would not be oh, able to afford to wrap it up to bring it to a post office. So in that sense, we're already seeing the great democratization um, of artwork because of NFT art sales. And that has to be seen as a good thing.
0: So a question about that. Um, if you're an artist and you want to mint an NFT, you don't have to go and code it yourself, right? There's, there's businesses or there's some, some kind of uh, platforms you can go do that? Some
2: platforms will do it for you. Um, and foundations is pretty easy to use. You just have to have a wallet to be able to purchase they use ethereum so you have to have a wallet connected to be able to you know mint and um and gas but the um and like binance's was almost cost free but like i said there were there's problems with that you know and it's like they're centralized yeah it's it's, centralized
0: necessarily is efficient and cheap but then there's things you give up
2: for that yeah and i mean the car like you said the cost will be coming down but you know understand that you can look and see prices drop as as you need to gas things and um and so if you pay attention to what those prices are by opening up just another window it'll it'll tell you it'll change you can reload the page oh it's two thousand dollars to gas right now oh it's eleven hundred dollars to gas right now oh it's 27.50 you know like and it just be it depends on the amount of volume on the chain at that point so it's it's easy to pay attention to don't overpay for it unnecessarily um, don't expect to become a millionaire, you know, putting the same art that you make in the real world up online. Make it speak to the people who are going to buy it. Make it special. Um, you know, if, it, if, you can, if you have any experience as an animator, most of the pieces that are selling for good money are made by people who work in the gaming industry because they can make incredibly good-looking pieces of work, um, and they can make motion, and they bring an aesthetic that is understood by most people who are already buying and selling cryptocurrency most of whom are also gamers. Um, in that capacity, that's where I'm completely you know, out of the loop. I do not play video games almost at all. I appreciate them. I'm just not a very good player. Um, in that sense, I should love CryptoPunks because the last game I was good at was Super Mario 2. But then um, I could probably still rescue the princess with all of my... I knew all the, the cheats to get through. But um, I do appreciate the, the work that goes into the new games. Um, I, I sat and watched... Someone did, um, they captured the whole gameplay and demo of the Miles Morales Spider Man game. It's three hours and 20 minutes, I think, or four hours and 20 minutes. And I watched it, and it's the second best Spider Man movie. Like that demo from start to finish, I love. Like, I may watch it again tonight now that I've mentioned it. Like, I, I may dedicate another four hours to watching gameplay, storytelling, mechanic, because it's not fucking good now. And so, like, if the people that are making that game, are making their own nfts where they can actually make their own money instead of working for a company on on somebody else's ip that's awesome you know let's support them in that endeavor you know same with like you know the comic artists. So we talk about digital digital work like i love that people who are only working digitally and because of that for years could not make a secondary income of producing a physical work to resell can now do that i'm going to support that like, like that to me is the coolest thing that I can spend my money on is, is, you know, enriching the life of a person who has given something to me that makes me happy. And that is another huge part. Like when you talk about where to invest, that's a great place to start. A great place to start because you're not just investing in making money back. You're actually investing in the longevity of someone who is going to continue to produce work and that should make their work appreciate value. Which then makes your early investment a very good investment in a financial sense so i mean there's all all different ways of talking about investment i think we're talking about financial usually but you know that's that's a helpful way of looking at it it's i mean it you can be prouder perhaps i mean i don't think it makes you any better than anybody else you know necessarily if if you you are doing that it gives you another reason to feel good about making a financial decision and A lot of people need that push, you know, in making decisions, especially if they're talking about investing something that could go in a lot of different ways. And it's not like you're limited to where you can spend your money. You have a lot of places you can spend your money. So what can offer you a return on your investment that makes your spirit a little bit lighter, you know, that uh, gives you something that you enjoy? This is something that I think that can accomplish all of those things. And if those things are important to you, if there's other things, make a list. What's important to me? Or look at the artwork. Does it fulfill this need? I mean, that's a good way to live life, right? Like, what makes me happy? What makes me unhappy? Does this decision bring me closer to this? Or does it bring me closer to that? That's how we should all be living our lives. Like, every one of us. Not many people do. But if you can have something that, that can help you make those decisions and make you feel really good about the decision that you made, that's a good investment in you, which makes whatever you're spending your money on a good investment anyways.
0: Well, I'm actually looking at it. NFTs as a good, um, almost like a, like a proxy for learning how to trade equities and what totally. I know a lot of people have a lot of natural resistance to it because wall street spent a lot of time and effort making it seem like it's this mystical thing that only they can do. Right. <laughs> Whereas like NFTs is, is a lot more approachable, but in, in principle, it's the exact same kind of market-based system.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good beta test. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Beta. Right. right.
0: Well, I think uh, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, this has been a wonderful uh, conversation. Um, Sam, do you have any remaining questions?
1: No, I, I think that's a good place to leave it off. Just invest in the, the things that make you happy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
2: there's a lot out there to make I you like happy. It. <laughs> it's, it's not a shortage, there's no scarcity of that, probably. So, yeah, that's NFT, this guy. Doge 2.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: well thanks guys have a great great afternoon
0: yeah great you too take care have a good one thank you you. bye-bye take care